I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Your Angry Angry Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. Yep. Hi. Hi. I'm sick, so I sound like hell. I'm sick, too. Yeah, we're both sick. Yesterday, I had the worst, like, body aches. Yep. Feeling Um, it today. I think that there's something going around because... Anthony is also sick. He, like, took a half day at work today. Um, I went to a podcast event last night, so I was yelling over music all night and wanted to die by the time I was done. I'm just amazed that you went, because when I'm not feeling well, I'm like, nobody bother me. I'm living on my couch. Well, I don't have a job right now, so (laughs) I feel like I can't turn down opportunities to, like, go and, and network and do stuff, so, um, I have another one today that I was invited to, and I'm like, ah... We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see how I end up feeling. Exactly. But NyQuil saved my life last night. I'm yeah. feeling a little Day bit Quill better. is uh, keeping me awake right now. Yeah, for sure. So I have something fucking awful. Okay, yeah. And you I'm going to give lead a... Lead the way. I'm going to give a trigger warning because this has to do with sexual assault. Okay. So if you are sensitive to things like that, maybe skip forward a little bit. So this is a story that I've shared on my personal Instagram, and I believe I've discussed off and on on the show just mentioning it but there was a coach named tom and cantalupo who was a coach at my skating rink during my formative years ages like 12 through 17 when i was there and he is now going to be in prison for the next 24 years for um sexually abusing one of his skaters goodbye 
good fucking bye bitch. So he pled guilty in June for sexually abusing the girl for two years, beginning in 2015 when she was only 14 years old. Um, he made an apology in court to his wife and the skating community, but the judge told him that this wasn't an affair. It was a sex crime against a child. Duh. Yeah, and he also would, like, create fake Instagram accounts and Facebook accounts and follow her friends pretending to be a teenage boy. That's to, so like, fucking gross. He would show up at her school. He would, like, know where she sat at lunch. She knew, like, he had total control over her. Um, he would take her to hotels, other skaters' homes, um, he was feared that he got her pregnant, so he took her to, uh, the clinic to get Plan B. Um, so when he first started sexually abusing her, he snuck into her room as she slept as the two were on a skating, at a skating camp in Connecticut. He's, she said that he groped her while she was pretending to sleep, hoping that he would stop, but instead he, this is very graphic, put his hand on her head and made her perform oral sex on him. Yeah. And a year passed, and and no sexual abuse happened, but the emotional abuse continued. And this time they went to Argentina for a skating seminar. And uh, this was the first time that it was penetrative sex. Sorry that this is very involved, but it's very important, I feel like, to know these things. Mm -hmm. And they would go to Argentina three times for these skating seminars, three separate years. And when she was 16, he was like, you're the love of my, my my life. I want to move to Argentina with you when you're 18. Yet he would even, like, tell her, like, I know this is wrong. So this girl finally talks to a friend of hers, and the friend encourages her to talk to her parents, and they file a police report. And this girl wears a wire and meets with him in a hotel and gets everything recorded, asks him the right questions, and he admits that he knows it's wrong, that he can go to jail for this, but she's the love of his life, yada, yada, yada. This How old thing. is he? Old. He was old when I knew him. He was in his 40s when I knew him. He's got to be in his 50s now. Oh, my God. I'll show you a picture of him. He looks like a piece of shit. Um, I mean, he, like, he had the parents in his back pocket. He was so good at manipulating this girl. So now I'm going to read her statement in court really quick. She says, I respected my coach, and I believed he was helping me reach my dreams. But Tom had different plans for me, and after I spent years training, Tom turned my dreams into a nightmare. I was 14 years old when Tom took my innocence. He took what wasn't his to take. He robbed years of my childhood that I will never get those years back. I was full of fear, but I realized that if I stayed silent, I was never going to be free. A million pounds of weight was lifted by telling the secret, and I was so relieved that everyone who mattered to me believed and supported me, but I'm not free. So then Tom's attorney was saying that, like, oh, well, we shouldn't be calling him a sexual predator because this was, like, a standalone thing. It's one girl. Even though I've heard that one other girl um, has started to come forward as well. Regardless, so, it was a 14-year-old child that exactly. you groomed. Yeah, exactly. And so... This Jane Doe's attorney, her name is Sarah Klein, and she was actually one of the first women to speak up against Larry Nasser. And she said, you know, when there is someone who is this good at it and does it once, there's more. And, and that's what I was going to say. If he's if he was in his 50s and yeah. he, you know, targeted her that yeah. way whenever she was 14, I would have a really hard time believing that that was the first person that he's done that to. I have some interesting stories that I'm not going to share on the podcast because it's they're not my stories to tell they're not public news things like that but i've definitely witnessed and uh gotten vibes through the years of some really uncomfortable stuff my coach wanted me to work with him once because he had this like almost like you know the movie ice princess 
I never saw it. Okay, well, there's, like, a computer digital physics way of, like, helping you, like, land a jump. And he um, can, like, record you doing something and then superimpose it over the correct way of doing it to help you know what you're doing wrong. And I remember my coach being like, would you want to work with him? Because a lot of her students worked with him as, like, Mm co-coaches. And I was like, hell no. Like, couldn't stand it. He always smelled like cigarettes. (laughs) He was so creepy. Um... So the survivor uh, and her attorney and her family are actually, they're pressing a civil action suit against U.S. figure skating for not doing enough to protect their athletes. There was another um, sexual assault case that came forward this year after a man um, committed suicide when he was being accused of sexual assault to a lot of young skaters. A lot of like Olympic level international skaters have come forward against this guy and uh, U.S. figure skating needs to be doing more about it rather than just suspending them. They need to take more action in protecting their skaters. Uh, yeah, I mean like that's all like that's all of these like associations honestly like how many times do we need to have the same conversation and I can only imagine how much people are free out about the fact that this stuff is coming out and being taken seriously now because they you know that you should have done more than just suspended people who were guilty of sexual assault against especially against minors yeah he's i mean he is no longer allowed to be a member of u.s figure skating and it's so funny because you can go on the website and read all the names of those who have been exiled and tanya harding's on there it's really funny oh man yeah it's so funny but yeah i mean I, i was talking to my coach about it this past summer and um she was saying yeah I used, so I used to travel with her by myself to competitions, and she's like, you cannot do that anymore. You can't share a hotel room. You can't travel with your coach. You have to have a parent present around your coach. How 24/7. old were you when you were traveling by yourself? 13, with my, with my coach. Oh, yeah. I'm surprised they allowed that at all. It wasn't, it wasn't a thing. No, it I was mean, like, I understand, but, like, whenever I was in school and whenever I was doing, like, um, any kind of any, anything. But was it a school-related thing? Well, school-related things or not, like, if I was going to a singing competition, if I was doing anything with my church, like, there had to be a certain number of adults for every number of, like, for the number of children It would be, going. like, it would be me, my coach, and, like, a couple other girls. And then um, she would have other families come, and then their parents would be there. But there was a, there was a competition where it was, like, me and two other girls staying in a hotel room with her. I would spend the night at her house all the time. She was, like, my big sister. And, like, in a way, those were such amazing memories for me because, like, I'm an only child. Th- those were very, like, important yeah. times for me. So but I could, I could easily me, see how that could go wrong. Like, it's, exactly. you know, and I understand, like, for parents, it's like they don't have the time or energy to be there all the time, especially yeah. if they want their children to be in all of these things. But it surprises me that they didn't at least demand that there be a certain number of adult chaperones there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, we, we're learning as a society. We're yeah, growing. Yeah, I mean, he took this girl to Argentina. That's... Like, it's fucking crazy. I would feel so uncomfortable with yeah, that. Yeah, I don't think my mom would be like, yeah, take my kid out of the country. But honestly, if you're an international-level skater and you're competing in all these different countries all the time, you know, it's got to be tough on parents because figure skating is so expensive. But even as child actors, like, child actors aren't allowed to travel like that alone. No, they're not. Until they have they're to have a 18. Yeah. So it's it's strange to me that there are some facets where it's just okay. Like I just don't like, think it was monitored. Yeah. I don't think that was monitored And people just didn't think about it. Like, you know, when we'd be at the rink, it's normal just to be... You know, the coaches helping you get sure, ready. The parents absolutely. shouldn't I mean, be standing right I there. was definitely left alone, you know, in practices, of course. Of course. Like, you know. Yeah, but, like, they're not... The, the officials at competitions aren't like, where are you staying? Are you staying? You know what I mean? Like, that wasn't a thing. But I guess now it's, like, 
really they're cracking down on it. Yeah, which I think it's good. Yeah, they should be. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, okay, so I want to talk about Amber Geiger. So mm-hmm. Amber Geiger was this. This happened a few years ago, and I remember yeah. distinctly when this happened. I feel like. It was in 2014, I think, and it was around the same time that we were seeing a lot of these police shootings um, and all that stuff happened in Ferguson and Mike Brown Mm -hmm. and Tamir Rice. And it was just very, very prominent in the news. And there was, of course, every time that happened, I think that's when I lost the bulk of my uh, shitty Facebook friends. Right. Uh, There were always people coming (laughs) out of the woodwork saying, well, he shouldn't have done this or he shouldn't have done that or she shouldn't have done this or that and basically justifying why these deserved to be shot. Right. And so I remember when this whole thing with Amber Geiger happened um, because Amber Geiger was a Dallas police officer who was off duty when she walked into the home of Botham Jean into his apartment and shot him while he was sitting on the couch eating ice cream. This she's is, ugh, she's this white blonde lady. Yeah. And she had claimed that she she was tired from working and wasn't paying attention and thought she had walked into her apartment. So she thought that Botham was a intruder in her home. Right. But then they've done investigations where they look and like, she's on the wrong fucking floor. The decor is completely different. Like really, how tired are you? They kept trying to justify that, um, that she had just moved in there and that other people had, because it's one of those big complexes where where everything everything kind of looks the same, which I, look, I can understand that. I've had people in my old place when I used to leave my door unlocked because we had friends who would just, like, pop in all the right. time, Seinfeld style. Um, <laughs> I would leave my door unlocked, and I had uh, people walk in there on, like, more than one occasion and be yeah. like, whoops, and, like, turn around and yeah. walk out. Like, that that had happened. But, like, my thing is that... So she's supposedly coming back from work, right? Uh-huh. Is she leaving her door unlocked while she's at work? First of all, that. Like, you didn't realize whenever you were unlocking it. Second, were you just like, oh, my door's unlocked. Cool, I'll just come in. Or, like, I mean, sometimes I think I've left, like, to go do laundry or whatever and come back and used my key. And you don't really notice that if it's locked or not because it just turns. But, why, but, but it wouldn't turn. It's not her apartment. She can't get in. Oh, yeah, you're right. That's you're what I'm right. Saying. It's yeah. not like she could it's not like she's unlocking her door. You're absolutely right. She went right in. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So like what what were you thinking? What is like, your yeah, thought process there? You yeah. were coming home from work. Why would the door be unlocked? Yeah. Absolutely. And then, secondly, you were so tired. You were so tired. And that was, like, your big excuse. But you had just been, like, sexting somebody. You like, We have all these text messages. Not to say that does, that doesn't mean you were tired. Yeah. But it means that you definitely... You were you cognizant. Yes. You were in zombie mode. You That's know what, what I mean? That's what I'm thinking. I'm like, was she inebriated? Was she... Because, like, what's her defense here? Because I honestly feel like... Tired is not a good defense. Well, yes, tired and disoriented was her defense. Yeah. Essentially, it was just like I thought it was my home. I was scared. Um, but your first instinct, especially as a police officer, is to shoot. should not be to get out your gun and shoot somebody. Like honestly, because you had to have done. Think about how fast you would have to do that that you didn't even take in that you were in the wrong apartment. Yeah. Because I would be startled, and then my first instinct would be like... Oh, shit, this isn't my house. Right, or like, look around. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you didn't notice that none of the decor was the same, your couches aren't the same. Like, he's watching a movie eating ice cream on the couch, you know? What did she do after she shot him? Did she call the police? She she did not. um, She called... She called somebody. She called, like, her boss or something. But she did not call 911 um, and get help right away. No. Because if I, let's say, in a weird world where I owned a gun and that was my first reaction was to shoot somebody, which is not true, <laughs> I would immediately feel, 
horrible, and I would call 911, and I would be trying to help this guy. Right, trying to no, CPR, she didn't anything. do that. Yeah, she I didn't would do not. It. She waited to call emergency services. Because she was worried about her ass getting right, fired absolutely. by calling her boss, being like, you got to help me. Yeah, so she did not call emergency services right away, which was another thing that was that pointed to her guilt. So um, she went on trial last month, and I watched part of her testimony. I had to turn it off because... There's something about watching, and especially, and I'm not trying to, like, stir up shit here, but whenever it's, we've talked about this before, there is such a history in this country with, like, white lady tears Mm -hmm. being able to get people out of things when they've done really awful shit. And um, that's what she was trying to do, but it was a really fucking lousy performance. It didn't look like she was actually crying at all. I believe that she feels... That she's upset, but I don't know that she's as upset that she did what she did or that it's having these kinds of consequences. I think that she thought, especially with everything that had gone on at the time, Mm -hmm. uh, where police officers were just getting off for this kind of thing, and she lives in Texas, and she's a white blonde lady, and he's black, I don't think she ever thought it was going to come to this, where she was going to be on trial. And this is what she says when... She's describing how she feels after killing an innocent man. She says she hates herself every single day. She says, I wish he was the one with the gun who had killed me. I never wanted to take an innocent person's life. Bullshit. My issue is her... So, one thing with, like, sociopaths that you can, like, is an easy tell is when they are doing a lot of I statements or talking about themselves. She's saying, I wish I was dead and he was alive, which is something very, like... And this is something I have I'm to live going with through. every day. Yeah, something that I I'm going through. I hate myself every day. Right. I'm the worst. Feel sorry for me. Yada, I definitely yada, yada. get that, like, white victimhood from That's, her. That, like, she feels like she's yeah. a victim of this situation. Yeah. And that is definitely how her defense attorneys played it. Yeah. Like, so they tried to use a stand-your-ground defense. So, as we know from um, Trayvon Martin, it, Texas has very similar laws to Florida yeah. in that if you feel like your life is being threatened um, and you are on your property or in your home, that you can use lethal force to kill them. She wasn't in her home. But the her defense attorney said she thought she was in her home. <laughs> I don't like her defense attorney. It, it, didn't, it didn't work. <laughs> yeah. um, it didn't work. So the jury was actually very diverse, which is something that people have pointed out that is different from other cases that are similar yeah. to this, is that they had a very diverse jury. That's really good. And whenever I was listening to Daily Zeitgeist talk about this, Miles, who's one of the hosts, made a very good point in that this is why we shouldn't shirk off jury duty. Mm-hmm. Like, you... I understand it's a pain in the ass. I understand, like, we need to fix the system so that we're not losing money. But we need more juries that are not, yeah. like, old white people who are retired and don't exactly. have to work. Like, exactly. we need young people who are struggling to be there so that they can speak for other young people who are struggling. We need Agreed. people of color. We need women. I would love to be part of jury duty. I've never been asked. I was asked, and they didn't call me in. So I was like, well, okay. okay. So... That, that didn't work, the defense of, like, she thought she was in her own home. And also, they wanted to go for manslaughter. The defense was like, well, we're going to go for manslaughter because this was an accident. And um, the jury was like, nah, nah, fam, we're going with murder. In addition, something that the defense was really upset about was that the prosecution was allowed to introduce some of her text messages into um, evidence to give context as to what kind of person. But I feel like that's really common. And what kind of police officer she was. Sometimes they won't allow it if they feel like it's prejudicial or it has nothing to do with the case. Um, But 
in this case, they did allow the text yeah. messages. Yeah, well, and I feel like it does have to do with the case because it was it was displaying her emotional state before it well, happened. Well, and it, it just speaks to her character. So mm-hmm. one of them was on a text thread with mm-hmm. other police officers and they were all working a Martin Luther King parade. And um, in one of them, one of the officers said, when does this end, LOL? And Geiger replied, when MLK is dead, oh wait. Which is just a really bad joke. If you're not racist, it's bare minimum, like, really insensitive and stupid. Like, oh it's God. such a stupid joke to make. And then in So sep- insensitive. Yeah. In September of 2014, a week before the murder happened, someone was offering Geiger a German shepherd. They, like, a, they had puppies or whatever. Yeah. And they were offering her a German shepherd. In a text, the seller said, she might be racist. And Geiger replied, it's okay. I'm the same. <gasps> mm-hmm. Oi. So Geiger was sentenced to 10 years in prison for murdering Jean, um, though she could have faced up to 99 years. Yeah. And she will be eligible for parole after five years. And I bet you anything. He's going to get out. She's former get police out. officer, yeah. you know, pretty white lady. She's going to be out of um, jail in five years. So people are super angry over what they consider to be a very lenient sentence, and they took to the streets to protest overnight. Have Uh, you seen um, the video or the photo of the brother of Jean hugging her? Yes, yes. Which... Is a tremendous act of forgiveness on his yeah, part. But um, white people are taking. Oh it yeah, too far. they've actually. So Fox News is being awful. Botham Jean's younger brother is eighteen. Yeah, eighteen year old. He was young sixteen man, at the time. I think they said, or would be or even, even younger, younger than that. I yeah. think. But at the very end, after she was sentenced, he went up to her and gave her a hug, and it is a very emotional moment. It's it's very sweet. However their mother went on and she was like, yeah. I don't want this to be misconstrued. I'm so happy that he did this. He did this on his own. Um, it shows tremendous forgiveness on his part, but also everybody needs to know that that was for him. Like, yeah, he needed to do that. He needed to do that for himself. Yeah. Um, forgive him for himself. Uh, but I also don't want it to be misconstrued as as though this is speaking for the forgiveness of everybody in our family. Right. That's not the case. And it also doesn't forgive what she did. Like, the, the mother or the father... He needed to let go. He needed to let go. Yeah. And I think maybe it was the father who said, like, he's glad that she was convicted at all, which I think we are all glad she was convicted at all. Yeah. But doesn't believe that... 10 years is enough. I don't believe it is either. Um, when I was talking about Tom earlier, he got 24 years, which is like a typical um, sentence for manslaughter. Wait, she's... She murdered. Mur- she was charged and convicted of murder. Yeah. She could have faced 99 years. Yeah. So getting 10 years is yeah. really nothing. It's, and I bet you she serves five. Yeah. I bet you she serves five to seven years. I bet you she doesn't even serve the whole 10 years. Right. She's um, going to... She's gonna play the repentant role. And And this person was innocent. They were were the most innocent you could be. They were eating ice cream on their couch. They were sitting at home in a place where you're supposed to feel safe. Yeah. You know, and apparently she's been getting a lot of sympathy from people in Dallas, which is fucking ridiculous. Um, You know, (laughs) if it was an honest mistake, okay, but that doesn't, it doesn't matter. I don't believe that it is. I don't believe that it is, but even if it was, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Your first instinct was to shoot somebody in their own home. And then that should be another indicator that 
the way that we're training our cops needs to be adjusted. Absolutely. Like, yeah. she shot him <clears throat> in the heart. That was her, like, that's what they are trained to do. That was what she did, and he died immediately. Well, and also our police officers should be trained to use that kind of violence as a very, very last resort. Exactly. Like, it shouldn't be a thing where... <laughs> our police officers need to be held up to a higher standard because she can say all day, well, I was scared. And it's like, don't you think he was scared? Exactly. You were in his house. Yeah. Like, and his first instinct wasn't to, like, barrel rush and tackle you. No. You know what I mean? Like, He was which, probably just like, oh, what? What? Exactly. Yeah. You know, so that, to me, that excuse doesn't really hold any water. We've talked about that with, um, who was the other young man who was shot that we were talking about Stephon that. Clark. Yes. Right, where it's just like the we police came around the well. corner and, and they, they said, said they, they were scared. scared. And it's like he was in the dark, on his own, in his grandma's backyard. Don't you think he was scared? Of course. Like, you have to hold police up to a higher standard than I you agree. would hold an everyday citizen because they have more power than an everyday citizen. I agree. So the only other thing I have to talk about really quickly is that Bernie Sanders is sick. Yeah, he's sick. Um, he had to have a heart procedure for a blocked artery yeah. and is suspending his campaign for the foreseeable future while he recovers. However, it's not looking like it's anything super serious. Yeah. And so I'm not loving the way that the media is covering this. Like, they're they're acting like, oh my god, he had a heart attack, he's dying. But wouldn't that give him less of a chance of doing well in the campaign if he was, like, dying? Absolutely. Remember when Hillary was like sick? Exactly. That that's what's frustrating me about this is like anytime there's a progressive candidate, or Hillary wasn't even that progressive, but no. anytime there's like a Democratic candidate who's running, the second they have a fucking cough, everyone's like, What does this mean? Yeah. Um, you know, Hillary got pneumonia and everyone was like, She's ill and sickly and can't hold office. And it's like, guys, everyone calm down. I mean, we do need to take into account that Bernie Sanders is old as shit. He like old. he's so old. But I don't like this kind of like everyone acting like he's on his deathbed. Right. When in reality, I think George W. Bush also had this very same procedure. Yeah. You know, keep in mind that he's old, but so is Trump. <laughs> They're like the same age. Exactly. And Bernie actually did say that he will be participating in the next debate. Okay, good. So he's not really that, you know, he's not really that hurt. He's all right. Yeah, he's going to be fine. He'll be fine. So I want to read um, some listener mail that we got on September 25th. So it's a little bit over a week ago, and it was in regards to our Latin American feminism episode. And I'm going to say her username wrong, but it was Eliana Hache. I'm going to go to your account, girl, and see. Oh, she's Eliana, looks like is her name. So she says... Hello, I just heard your episode on Latin American feminism, and I loved it. I'm Mexican, and I just moved recently to the, to the U.S., but before I moved here, I was part of the feminist groups back in my country. I found your episode to be very informative and interesting. I didn't know, for example, about Petra Herrera, and she was fighting in my hometown, Torreon. We also share the same last name, haha. Oh, well, there you go. Um, yeah. If you would like to continue that episode, I recommend you take a look at the Green Wave that started in Argentina and extended up to Mexico. It's about the legalization of abortion. There are tons of videos, articles, and information since there has been a lot of protests throughout Latin America. Because of that new feminist wave, green is becoming the signature color now. Another interesting thing is that Mexican feminists are very active and getting stronger now since we have awfully high rates of, fem of feminicides and rapes and women who are just sick of the lack of responses from the state. 
the protests in Mexico were called the Glitter Revolution. It all started because a girl was raped by four police officers in Mexico. In Mexico City. So the protests were very intense. Also, a few months before, there was a parallel hashtag MeToo movement in Mexico, but it wasn't against the ce- the celebrities or the public figures like here in the U.S. It was more against local abusers and rapists. Yeah, take them down. Yeah, nobodies. So there were tons of testimonies. Being with... Being women in my country is honestly a nightmare, but feminists there are so bold and unapologetic. It gives me hope. And then she signed it with a green heart. Oh, love. Yeah, she and she sent me so many amazing videos and articles about, you know, their Me Too movement and, you know, some of their different protests and some history. I would love to do some research on that green wave because I think that that seems fascinating to me. Yeah, it was nice to hear from somebody very active in the feminist community in Mexico who is very well-versed in um, Latin American feminism, um, be so kind to reach out to to us and want to educate us more and give us more things to look at because it's important to just continually learn more and more about other places and how we can help, especially right now, I feel like with Latin America, especially Mexico, we have to stand with them as much as we can in order to help um, the people who are being treated horribly by the Trump administration. Well, and just combat that bias. Exactly. I mean, I feel like there is, it's, it's so strange to me because the United States and Mexico should have this we should have this really like union union yeah Yeah. we should have this kind of like loving relationship between these two countries because we have been so intertwined in so many ways and yet i feel like for so many people in the united states there's such a massive division between the united states and mexico that it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me i mean i understand there was like the what was it like the alamo and everything well i mean sure yeah that was long ago let's get over it guys if anything mexico should be pissed at us more than anything else exactly but i mean i'm i think there was a lot of propaganda around that time, though, that created a lot of hostility between Texans and Mexicans. Mexicans. So I feel like maybe some of that has just seeped into the rest of the country. Well, and just know. good old-fashioned racism, oh, I think, sure. is a, a lot of what for it is. Sure. It's just like, these people live differently than me, they, they look, look different than me, and I can't their, deal. Their culture is different, yeah. I mean, and like, you know, you look at our other neighboring country, Canada. Canada, in a lot of ways, is very similar to the U.S. and a lot of their, like, cultural backgrounds and things like that. Not trying to speak for Canada. I don't know much about Canada. But, like, I feel like, and especially because most Canadians are known as being, like, white people, there isn't that same racism. Right, absolutely, yeah. yeah. There's, nobody is racist against Canadians. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm sure someone is. Prejudice. But, um, there's prejudice ab- Absolutely, yeah. there's prejudice against um, Canadians, and of course you, you have to take into account the indigenous population of that country. Of course. But because culturally they're so similar to the United States in a lot of ways, um, Canadians are probably pissed to hear yeah. us say that, but... Um, <laughs> I know, I'm sorry, we're not trying to no, but like, make a, you seem a, like us. <laughs> Americans have that point yeah. of view. That that Canadians are very similar. So you don't see the same kind of like animosity and, you know, just out and out racism, racism, elitism. Yeah. All right, you guys, thank you so much for listening to another mini episode and dealing with the sound of my voice for this past half an hour. Um, If you have anything that you'd like to add to this episode, share anything, uh, go ahead and email us at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com. You can also follow us and direct message us on Instagram at Angry Neighborhood Feminist. We have a Twitter at YANF Podcast, Y-A-N-F Podcast. We have a Facebook business and group page. Go ahead and go to that business page and rate us and review us there. Also, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a stellar review there. We would love it so very much. Lastly, if you don't already, go ahead and listen to us on Radio Public. It's a free way for you to listen. It helps us out just a little bit, and we appreciate it. Well, that's all we have for you today. With all that being said, we encourage you to to rage on. Bye.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.